everybody. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast with your two alpha male hosts, Mike Erie, <laughs> Timothy Stafford. We're here representing the, the pinnacle of masculinity because we're going to talk about masculinity today and who better than two alpha males. That's right. And um, yep, so, so just sit down, buckle up, prepare yourselves. In biblical parlance, gird your loins. That's right. For maybe for the second time in my life, I listened to Joe Rogan this morning. So, oh, I, I feel like you know. Are you ready? Ready. I mean, they were no. just talking about killing animals all the whole time. So I'm ready well, to go do it. Okay. Nice. I mean, and Tim, if you see it, if you saw his face right now, it's very angry, very aggressive, <laughs> very, very, very dominant. Kind of a dominant face. Uh, anyway, hello, friends. Hello, community. Uh, we're delighted to join you today. Thank you for for tuning in. Um, we're very, very grateful. Thank you for all the great feedback we got from last episode with uh, Susie Lind and Timothy Gombas. Today, it's just two alpha males sitting in a Zoom hangout and recording conversation. So, you know, just as good <laughs> is what we're saying. It's I like want to cage lions. I want to thank Jeff and Chantel. I want to thank Scott. I want to thank. Kristen, for all your very generous support through either tithe.ly or through uh, Patreon. Um, we are a crowdfunded, like, nonprofit thing. So thank you for all of the ways that there has been an entire community that has uh, gathered around and uh, helped us pull all of this off. So we're very grateful. If you want to find out more, go to our website, voxologypodcast.com. Now, Timothy... Yes. We have big news. We are recording this the week-ish, 10 days out from Halloween, your favorite holiday. And to commemorate, to commemorate your holiday, your favorite holiday, you released a, a Halloween album. Yeah, so I, I did. Yes. So tell us about this. You, you had threatened it. You I had mentioned it. it and now I it needed, is here. Uh, I need little project challenges to keep me sane. Yeah. Little yeah. creative challenges. So yeah. I decided instead of, you know, everyone records Christmas records. Yeah, that's lame. That. That's lame. I was like, let's make a Halloween record. So over like four or five nights in my office, I wrote and recorded it. So it's all just done right here at the desk, but it's pretty fun. Both my kids make appearances on it. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's all in all the streamers. It's all in all the streams. So just type in Tim Stafford. Timothy it, John Stafford. Oh, Timothy Tim Stafford John. will bring up a flat-picking guitar player who, Ooh. when I released my very first record I ever did, we got they, they put it together on iTunes as the same artist, and his fans were not excited. Hmm. Okay. That's but fair. But I emailed him, and we laughed about it. <laughs> All right, so Timothy John Stafford. That's really important that people know. I'm glad I brought that up. That's right. And what can, what can people expect from a Halloween album? Lots of metaphors with monsters. Oh, the monster Mazzy, inside. Mazzy has a track called The Queen of Halloween where she reads a, a poem about being the queen of Halloween. Nice. My son Elliot, we do a song that I had on Instagram from when he was only four years old that he wrote um, about trick-or-treating, and I took the video of that and then melded it into a full band song. So at this point, you're just straight up exploiting your children, just like yeah. I do I mean, with they're Seth. on two out of ten tracks, but... Okay. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, dude. Congrats. Thank That's you. It's so fun. fun. 
Yes. So if um, if you're somebody who loves Halloween tunes, or That's if you're right. somebody who doesn't even know what Halloween <laughs> tunes three would sound like, there. yes, this is your album. You three. Yes. Sign in. So so go check it out. Well done, Timothy. Thank you. Um, the next, I want to tackle a, another obscure holiday. All so right. I, I joked Arbor Day, but um, Arbor I'm Day sure record. there's, yeah. So, well, they were doing about that trees. with horror movies for a while. Like they were running out of holidays. They had done Christmas a bunch, and then someone made like a Thanksgiving movie. Oh, that's and funny. And then I had a, we had a friend from film school that was trying to do a Columbus Day horror film. Wow. Which, I mean, you could just make a film about actual whatever. Flag still, Day. Flag yeah, Day. Would Flag be good. Day. Flag Day just had a movie, Sean Penn movie. Really? Your buddy Eddie Vedder did the whole soundtrack to it. Of course, it, of course he did. My personal friend, Ed. Yep. I call him Ed. Those um, friends call him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a Pearl Jam lyric, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, so congrats. If you're in the mood for some tunes, go please check that out. Timothy John Stafford. I've got today, Tim, I've got some thoughts. Um, right. Because as we know, um, the role of middle-aged white men in the world is to offer thoughts. And so yes. we don't want to disappoint anyone's expectations. There's a vacuum out there right now. There is. There is. <laughs> we, need more, we need more thoughts. So I was, my daughter, uh, well, let, let's, let's first talk. Let's, let, me, let me paint a picture, all right, before we get to my daughter. Yeah. Um, I'm exploiting my children the here The future as well. heir to the Voxology throne. Throne, yes. Um. So, so my son, my, my first son, Nate, who you've obviously met, <laughs> he, he greatly lacks confidence. Um, he does not. So Nate, when he was growing up, he attached himself to the game of soccer. I grew up playing football in American football, not football. Um, and, uh, and so I was, you know, rooting for a football player and I got football one. Football is life. Football is life. And uh, so Big Nate started out playing soccer, like when he was three or four years old. And we quickly realized he had a talent for this that was above his kind of grade level. And so we became soccer parents and we, he, be, he became attached to a club team and we began traveling most weekends and we did the club sort of soccer thing. And then um, he's now playing Division One soccer. So, so I went from being a, a total like neophyte about soccer and it's boring to, oh, now I love it. We watch Premier League together and I can appreciate the nuances of the game far more now after, you know, whatever, 15 years of, of really watching soccer. So my daughter... Uh, has gravitated towards many sports. She's she's played flag football. She's been the only girl on the flag football in the flag football league. Um, she did gymnastics. She's done volleyball. She's done lacrosse. So her senior year in high school, she wanted to try soccer. She has never kicked a soccer ball in her life. She's only gone to watch her brother play. So so Hannah is um, if any if she's anything, she's very aggressive. And um, she, sur she soon learned how quickly she could foul people. <laughs> and so Hannah, Hannah, like she, uh, the first game I watched, she was in for 10 minutes and, and knocked down two different girls on the other team. <laughs> and it was just, she, just all elbows and knees and like lots of passion, but absolutely no soccer understanding. 
So, so as we went through the season and we began to play harder teams, Hannah played less and less through no fault of her own. This was just yeah. for her. Sports has always been primarily social, and um, and so we got to uh, lo- the games that kind of started counting towards the playoff and the state seeding and regional seeding, and so she didn't you know play even remotely. But we would just go and we would sit in the stands. And so last weekend we were sitting in. Um, a soccer stadium, I don't know, 10 minutes away. We're watching our team, Hannah's team, play another team for some sort of regional uh, seating. And this thing happens in the stands where they keep the two sets of parents very, you know, far away from each other. So, so there's this, there's, you know, they're like our um, state rows of seats on one side, and then there's this building, and then there are rows of seats on the other side, and the teams separate. And the game starts getting a little chippy as, as far as like uh, women's soccer games can get chippy. And, and uh, what begins to happen is this sort of tribal thing takes over each team where any call that goes against us is a bad call. Right. And any call that is for us is a good call. And and as somebody who's grown up into soccer awareness, you realize that a lot of this was just out of ignorance. Like people don't understand the offsides rule. It took me forever to learn that. Or don't understand you can't slide into somebody with your cleats up and you know, blah, 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 blah. So the referee was actually doing a great job. Yeah. But the referee <laughs> was hearing it from both sides. And it was this absolute... And I, I was... And I, I I shouldn't have done this, but I started chirping at the parents who were next to us about, you guys are really wrong here. The ref made a great call. And and I know this because I've done 15 years of soccer. And I used to be that parent, but now I'm not that parent anymore. And so I don't want to be the well actually guy, but it was right. so obnoxious that this, she goes to a Christian school that this group of Christian parents was you know just heaping abuse onto the referee, but it was yeah. totally out of ignorance, um, and um, and it was it was absolutely tribal, right? There's no room for nuance, no room for complexity, no. It was just if it's for us, it's good. If it's against the other team, it's good. If it's against us, it's bad, right? right. There's nothing in the middle, and I was thinking about um, you know, and and the no duh statement of the century is coming. I was thinking about okay, that's that's exactly that that used to be on sports fields, but now that's everywhere. That same approach to I cannot um, I cannot hear any nuance, any complexity, any tension. It is literally if it's bad for them, that means it's good for us, and there's nothing in the middle. It's you can't you can't explain the complexity of anything, and and I was thinking about how. How brutal it is to um, to to not only try to live in a society where that's the norm now, right? It's just right. the loud shouting of social media and the even around dinner tables, right? There's just nothing. I mean, it's 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 and I get this I get this when I talk to people of different political persuasions. If I say anything negative about the Republican candidate, then I'm automatically endorsing the Democratic one, and it's like, well, no, you're. There, you could actually critique without endorsing the other. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a thing that happens among thoughtful people, you know? And, um, and not that I'm claiming to be super thoughtful, but I'm, I'm working on it. 
And, and the, this sort of tribal um, way of seeing the world, which is just so utterly ruthless, is now obviously not shockingly making its way into the church. And I've complained about this before, but it's, it's a literally, instead of listening to the nuance of the Bible or having our assumptions and what's considered normal, like interrogated by the text, we now come in as fully formed, opinionated people, and we're just looking for churches to kind of validate that or not. Yeah. Which is exactly the opposite posture we're to have as students of Jesus, right? Which is to continually hold up normal to the examination of God's word and to hold up my normal, my self in normal mode to the examination of, of the, the word, the scripture, excuse me, the, the scripture, the spirit, and the community. And I, and I don't have a way out of this other than I was just sitting there looking around for anyone in the stands who appreciated the nuance of what the referee was doing. Right. You know what I mean? But those people are the most quiet ones because they realize that it isn't, you know, it isn't tribal. So, uh, um, <laughs> and so, so you're just sitting there feeling so lonely. Like, does anyone else see that the referee is actually doing a great job here? Well, my dad and, is a high school referee. Oh my been, goodness! He's been a high school coach and referee for my entire life, and so now he like heads up the refs for volleyball for girls volleyball and boys now I think too, and so he's like, "Hey, you want to make extra money? I can, I can get you and get you trained as a ref." And I'm like, "No way! The refs have to no be way. currently up here, and I'm sure this is everywhere, but I can only speak to here. The refs have to be escorted to their cars after games because the parents have gotten so violent and so entitled to like, I think right. entitlement's kind of the thing, right? Like." You just feel so entitled to your opinion to a violent degree, mm. regardless of any, you know, like you said, nuance or anything, but it's pretty wild. Parents are just out of control right now. It's like once they got a little, and I'm not going to say it's a direct reference, but it really like blossomed in the last four to six years where people <laughs> had really loud opinions and then they became like emboldened in them and suddenly things got a little hectic. Yeah. Yeah, we saw it before that in really competitive sporting environments. So not yeah. casual sporting. That's where you see it now is, hey, you know, how many headlines do we see of at a third grade baseball game, there yeah, was a big brawl. Yeah. Right. And you're just like, okay. But, but to me, that serves as the perfect metaphor for the kind of culture war dialogue that we find ourselves in. Right. And to, to, be, some, to be somebody who is attempting to be thoughtful or attempting to be to appreciate the complexity of issues, right, is to just be castigated completely by both sides. Um, and, 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 and the the space we're trying to carve out, and we've been trying for seven years. This is our seventh year anniversary, by the way. Today? Um, well, this podcast, I mean, this specific, we started in October, oh. uh, the first weekend in October of 2015. And here we are. They yeah. said it wouldn't last, Timothy. Here we wrong. go. Yeah, they were wrong. Or we just have nothing better to do. And we're <laughs> stubborn. It could be either one of those. Yeah. But but I, I was reminded afresh as I'm sitting in the soccer stands of what it is, the hard place we're trying to carve out, not just culturally and politically, but even in Christian circles. Um, because one of the things we've been wrestling with is our is our uh, in our church community. So we have loads of people who kind of walk through the doors, experience it once, and then walk out the doors, never to be seen again. And, and is that 
a badge of honor or is that a mistake or is that you know something else entirely Hmm. and because we've been thinking about okay you know what because i mean if you want to grow a church there are relatively straightforward ways of doing that that play on group dynamics and yeah there's seminars and books oh yeah absolutely (laughs) um and uh if you if you're trying to be a thoughtful sort of middle third way sort of church it's a it's a much harder thing and so we're constantly examining you know are we um are we third weighing it too much are we you know Mm. blah 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 and it was just reinforced watching the soccer game that that no actually no we actually need more people who appreciate that the referee can call a good game even if it's against your side yeah um and we need more people to who can appreciate the fact that um, if a call goes against us, that's necess- not necessarily a bad call. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. Like, like, totally. and, and that that energy that comes as a game gets tight and people get more and more angry that that's a really bad antichrist kind of energy. And um, so, so having said that, um, I'm I want to make a more concerted effort to create space for different opinions than ours so i reached out to a guy he hasn't said yes to this but a guy who wrote a book called the the christian case or the biblical case for christian nationalism oh wow so i i slid into his dms as they say i don't know what that means exactly except he had public dms so i dm'd him and i said hey we're a podcast um and you know that just assumes we're two middle-aged white guys um, but you seem like a middle-aged white guy, so why don't we all get together and talk? I didn't say it that way, but I was—I've been very eager to see if he would respond positively to that. Yeah. Um, because one of the things that we that marked our podcast early on was we would bring in people who we disagreed with and just let them talk. Like we wouldn't argue yeah. with them, we wouldn't push back on them, we would just let them say whatever they wanted to say to try to get the best sort of argument. Yeah. Um, on the table. And so uh, that was just a great reminder to keep trying to do that, you know. And as, a, as somebody who's a teaching pastor, how do we invite myself but us into permission to allow the text and spirit and community to speak into the already solid formed opinions I have right. that come from all sorts of other places and how best to do that. So I'm still trying to figure that one out. Yeah. So anyway, what do you what do you think, Tim? I mean, that was I would say that was a great intro by Mike. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about yesterday because I I mentioned last week that my students are writing those. Oh wow, that's my Apple Watch. Sorry. <laughs> Talk Siri. I, uh, we're doing the Rogerian essay, so they're doing that essay where they have to enter into the you know unbiasedly into a conversation with two distinct, love, opposite, I opposing things. And it's been interesting because the, a lot of the students are just like, I am having a really hard time remaining unbiased in this side of the argument. I'm like, I get it. That's, yeah. I understand why that's difficult, but you, here's why you're doing it. And someone emailed in a while ago and said, hey, it would be really interesting if you guys modeled that on the podcast. But it would be even more interesting to see that modeled in church or in person. Like yeah. two people with really different beliefs that like just have a conversation where everything can be. It's not an argument. It's just like a, hey, this is, I yeah. see what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to ask a couple questions about what you said to fully understand it so that I can have a, you know, a very nuanced and educated response to 
yeah. what it is. It doesn't mean you're being swayed to their side. It means you understand it so that when you do have an opinion that pushes against it or whatever, you know why you have reasons for that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is important. It is important. Doggone it. Um, so more more about that down the road. I'd love to to explore some of that space like Will Ferrell does with the cowbell when he's invited yeah. to explore the space. Well, um, I invited Sean Foyt on, but he doesn't want to. Okay, that's fair. He didn't respond. You're, I mean, you have been a little angry towards him. What? And well, he's pretty spirited too. Yeah, he is. And um, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to reach out to FG. I mean, the OG FG, Franklin the, Graham. Yes, <laughs> I love it. All right, today, today we need to talk about alpha males. <laughs> Speaking um, of Franklin Graham. Yes, alpha males have made a roaring comeback on social yeah. media, guys. And the problem, uh, so we're told with the world, is that men are not manly enough. Yes, I have two students writing that essay right now, actually. Really? Yep. Oh, I love that. Perfect. Just yes, we the... need we need more manliness because manliness is next to godliness. That's what we're that's what we're being told. So, <laughs> I've just sort of fished through the interwebs. Um, uh, I don't, I'm not on social media much anymore, but every now and again, a topic will fly by and you go, oh, oh, let's see what's, let's see what's out there. And, and this seems to come from enough, uh, different places that, uh, that it's a thing. So this seems like a thing. So, so for the first thing I saw was an advertisement for a conference called the man up conference. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And um, this was either in Florida or Texas, of course. <laughs> um, and, and I just want you to notice the language um, from the one, one of the biggest, the, like the headline speaker there was this guy named Tullian. And I don't know how to pronounce, pronounce his last name. He's Billy Tullian's Graham's first name. Tullian. Yeah. Which is wow. cool. And yeah. it's like, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but. Uh, he's Billy Graham's grandson who used to lead a church in Florida but had multiple affairs and r married the woman who he had an affair with and now evidently is teaching us to be manly, mm. uh, which I always think is super interesting. Uh, but but the, the invitation language is don't miss the pregame, okay? Right. This is the pregame to the conference. Axe throwing, car show, boxing machines, and adult obstacle courses begin Friday, right? So, hey, what what does it mean? What what's going to appeal to men? Axe throwing, car shows, boxing machines, and adult obstacle course. Perfect. Yeah. Along, and this is other text. This is pulled straight from the website. Also, with the conference tickets that you purchase, you receive entries into drawings or raffles for, and here are the prizes. Gun range sessions, semi-automatic weapons, guided oh. fishing trips, knives, bows, and sporting event tickets. And the goal of this conference, after completing 10 sessions in the word capitalized over just two days, you are sure to leave feeling like a man leveled up. Leveled up. <laughs> leveled up. So, so I, 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 just observing this, uh, because there is a, a, a definitely a, a, um, a slant <laughs> that is taken on what it is to be a man. 
Yeah. Right? And it involves objects of violence, automatic <laughs> weapons, gun ranges, knives, bows, um, axe throwing, boxing machines, and, you know, some sort of quest for adventure, yeah. car shows, adult obstacle courses, guided fishing trips, and sporting event tickets. Yeah. And, and I remember I was, you know, I was a man back in my day. <laughs> I was a man once. <laughs> yeah. I was a man when Wild at Heart came out by a guy named John Eldridge. And there was this, this kind of movement that swept through um, in tandem with something called Promise Keepers. That was a men's conference mm. back in the day that, that, that did some really good things. I mean, they were, they were one of the first places I heard about racial reconciliation, for instance. Mm. Um, and so there, was, there were good things that were part of all of that. Uh, but this this is just sort of like, oh, the resurgence of that same sort of idea that masculinity is this rugged, outdoorsy, Joe Rogan type expression. Yeah. And the fact that it gets tied in, and if that's what you want to see masculinity is great. But the fact that it's tied into the Bible is where I find it problematic. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't mind axe throwing. And, you know, I, I'd love a cool car. I have a truck. Um, boxing <laughs> for sure, dude. See, that's the thing uh, we talked about before too, though, is like most of the women, most of the people who enjoy football and that kind of stuff in my life are women. Yeah. Like, so when we talk about the, like we give those examples before when we talked about this a little bit with like the church having like the male Super Bowl party and then the women have like a knitting club or like a, right. bake, a baking right. thing. It's like, well, most of the women I know don't knit and like to watch football. Yeah. And that so means you know some great women. Yeah, well, I bet it's probably more prevalent than, than not. Totally, but but again, the issue isn't. Hey, do men enjoy these things? Sure. Yeah, but that this is endorsed as subtly in this case as biblical masculinity. Right. Now, there's an, another guy who I will not name because he he's just a, um, I don't. He seems like a troll who just fishes for. And, and markets himself as kind of the counter PC woke guy, um, one of many. But he's writing a book called The Manliness of Christ. Oh, my gosh. How, yes, I love it. I can't wait. How the masculinity of Jesus eradicates effeminate Christianity. Wow. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so here's some of, I, and I, so, so, right, I'm going to reach out to that, that person too. Um, but but some of the tweets were like uh, effeminate pastors produce feminine churches, feminine churches produce an emotional culture, emotional culture does not attract strong men, no strong men equals a weak and vulnerable church. Now that's straight out of the Driscoll playbook. Totally. Um, Oh, or and 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 again, I mean, he he literally it just seems to be recycling sort of Driscoll content. There is far too much similarity between the fashion and hairstyles of lesbians and male Christian musicians. Wow, right. So so you've got you've got a culture about man up, and then you've got the manliness of Christ, which I I have no doubt will be very biblically faithful. Then you've got um, the promise, the, the promise keeper CEO organization I just mentioned. He says that churches are making men effeminate by teaching Jesus wrong. We've taught a Jesus that's an idol that's not the real Jesus. We've taught a Jesus 
that says to love means being nice to everybody. Jesus wasn't very nice. He wasn't very nice most of the time. Check. Then we've got a guy who um, literally is part, he seems part of the like MAGA movement. Part of his Twitter handle is Alpha Male. Wait, the last guy was the Promise Keeper guy? Yeah, that last guy was the Promise Keepers guy. This is this is new. So this this one is a different guy. Gotcha. This guy is as part of his Twitter handle Alpha Male. Gotcha. <laughs> and 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 in just a sample of the tweets that you'll find, uh, it must suck to be a beta male. As an alpha male, I wouldn't know anything about that. Weak men, different tweet, are the most dangerous humans in the world. Um. And I kid you not, all right, these are, this is a real one. I saw it. The word masculinity did not have any meaning until President Trump was born. Whoa. Um, and then, and then, and this guy has 350,000 followers. I've been an alpha male my entire life. I can't help it. I was born this way. So, I mean, one what of the great. The word masculinity didn't have, what was it? It didn't have meaning. That is hilarious. Yeah. Now, now. What a weird I mean, statement. <laughs> that is a weird statement. All right. And then and then we have from our friends over at Desiring God, the Gospel Coalition, um, an article about beards, and, um, and which is right up your alley, Tim, because you have a great beard, man. A great beard. I've seen you, you without make, one. You make me shave it. And no, 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 no. Beards protest. So this is from an article. All right. Beards protest against a world gone mad. They testify in their own bristly way that sex distinctions matter. Hmm. So beards are now part of the culture war, evidently. So Sucks for my friends that can't grow them. Well, we know what those are. Those are soy drinking beta males. <laughs> All right. So on the one hand, we have the Man Up Conference. Yeah. Um, then we have um, the manliness of Christ guy talking about effeminate pastors. Then we've got the promise keepers guy talking about effeminate churches who teach a Jesus um, th that was nice when Jesus was actually not very nice. Yeah. Then we have the alpha male guy just declaring he's an alpha male, which I, I don't know. I mean, I've been around alpha males and the last thing they're always saying is that I'm an alpha male. So it's just... Wonder if there's some compensation there. Just I'm just I don't know. Curious, and then desiring God gives us beards, beards. are a protest against the erasure, uh, erasure of sex distinction. So, all <laughs> that is to say, the issue again, Timothy, is not whether or not you think these things are manly or not. The issue is not if manliness existed before President Trump was born or not. <laughs> Um, <laughs> such a strange claim. Totally, totally. Um, and and you have to be that crazy to get noticed these days, I right? Guess. I mean, yeah, it's working. Oh my word! Um, it's that it's that when a version, any version, any single version of manliness gets held up as the biblical version of manliness, that we now have a a, a problem. Yeah. Um, and it's an idolatry problem. It's recasting Jesus into some image. Totally. Whether Jesus was mean or Jesus was nice, what a dumb set of categories to evaluate Jesus using. Yeah. Right? Was Jesus an alpha male or a beta male? You've already betrayed the idolatry just by putting the question that way. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? So the search, I want to stand resoundingly against the search for anything remotely called biblical masculinity. Because guess what? We meet all kind of men in the Bible, and all of them, with the exception of one, are whacked, right? They all have (laughs) issues. And and so and so how how do you pick one example out of the book and hold that up to well that's what men are, um, and I understand that there is concern from our friends who hold up masculinity that 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 a, a vision of masculinity is being undercut in our culture at large. I understand that concern. Um, uh, as Nate. As my son tries to navigate what does it mean to be masculine, he hears just absolutely conflicting messages about that. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the concern. I think in the Bible, gender does matter. Now that I think transgender people matter too, so that puts all sorts of you know spin on it. But but the the um, I understand the the desire for clarity on this. Um, and the desire to help men kind of reach their manliness. The issue, though, is that using the Bible in in some way, shape, or form to define biblical masculinity uh, is has done so much harm. I remember when Wild at Heart came out. I wrote I wrote actually a book on manliness, Why Guys Need God was the title of it, which I did not come up with, by the way. And I wrote the book. <laughs> critiquing Wild at Heart because we had a guy on our staff who came up to me. I was at a church called Rock Harbor at the time. A guy on our staff came up to me and he said, I I just feel so much shame that none of this sounds manly to me. Like, I don't yearn for a woman to win. I don't yearn for an adventure to live. And I don't yearn for a battle to fight. Yeah. So I must not be a man, was the conclusion. And I was just profoundly true. I said, yeah, first of all, beta male (laughs) is for you. And here's the soy vegan line. Um, (laughs) Let's go throw some axes and see what happens. And then he got some axe body spray. And I said, no, different axes. (laughs) So, so. That was a good visual. <laughs> Thank you. We're just, yeah. I mean, if you've been into a lock, a high school locker room, man, you know oh, Axe Body Spray is getting tossed around in there like no one's business. But I digress. So the issue is that, that whatever masculinity you decide to come up with is just a reflection of either what you're projecting or what you're compensating for, right? I mean, it's just right. so ridiculous. So I thought, well, what, what does the Bible say about males? And the Bible does say some things, but not along the lines of what our alpha male, beardly, axe-throwing, Jesus-was-not-very-nice counterparts might say. Right. Um, and, then, and then just the insulting. As a Christian, um, the, I'm going to insult people by calling them effeminate. Um, yeah. Boy man that that sort of grinds at me as just hmm that is that is not at all a christian posture and if he and if that's what biblical masculinity is to you is being a jerk then you've right. missed jesus i mean you just have missed him entirely yeah, um, the guy that intervened on behalf of women the one oh, whose story ended in sacrifice and yeah. arguably defeat yeah uh, yeah yeah jesus yeah tough to make him an alpha male now so you know what i'm going to do timothy I'm mm. in the mood for some Bible. 
The only thing, the only thing I know to counteract those meat loving, axe throwing alpha (laughs) males, axe wearing, body spray spraying. Is there a masculinity Bible like there was the Patriot Bible? Like, is there like a man themed? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, and a women themed Bible. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's the the move in the church to try to define this along biblical categories is unbelievably tragic hmm. um so so and i know lots of really smart people would disagree and i i actually think i'm wrong about a lot of stuff but i think i'm right about this i think this is a really harmful thing yeah. that that people are doing and so if we want to teach about masculinity and femininity those are just are not the, the categories that have been introduced by those people are not categories at all that are helpful. I mean, even Proverbs 31, the whole Proverbs 31 women, yeah. Proverbs 31 is about wisdom. Right. Wait, the women in Proverbs are all personified as either wisdom or foolishness. Yeah. Always. And so the idea of being a Proverbs 31 woman, it's just cringy. Like, be a wise woman, yes. Yes, if that's the point, great. But like, Am I allowed to work or not? Or look, I work outside the home and I do chores and that's what godly femininity is. Come on, man. Or any this stuff around um, Mary and Martha where Martha was busy with housework, but Mary was a disciple. Like, And, and the point is, women, just don't, don't be busy. Don't be busy. Just yeah. sit at the feet of Jesus just like Mary but did. But also make sure you take care of that stuff first. Oh, good Lord. It's just, it's awful. All right, so let's go to Genesis 1, Tim, where we meet. And I'm just doing this off the cuff. I'm just doing it because there was a Bible sitting next to me, and I'm fired up. (laughs) Yeah. And let's do some Bible. So we have in Genesis 1 this beautiful picture of a master artist, of of extensive power, speaking things into existence in the first three days. And we're going to someday do a whole thing on Genesis. But in the first three days, he takes what was previously formless and empty. And the first three days, he builds form, sky, land, water. And then the next three days, he deals with empty. He fills the sky with birds and the land with animals and trees and the water with fish. And as part of what he does on the six days, he introduces the human being. And he says, God, so God said, let us make humanity in our image. Now, the us there is not the Trinity. Um, Moses wouldn't have had a conception for that. The us there is most likely the royal divine council. Mm. Um, Let us make humanity in our image. So the plurals are fascinating, right? So that, because God here is known in Genesis 1 as Elohim. And there are lots of Elohim in the Bible, right? Elohim just means of the category of spiritual being. We've talked about this before. So let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness. Now, image and likeness were words. Timothy, pay attention. Sorry, I'm making sure. It sounds like there's noise outside, but I have my window open because it was warm. And I'm going to close it if it's loud. No, I didn't hear anything. Except, I, except all that I heard was your attention wandering away the riveting from the rivering riveting exegesis um (laughs) let us make humanity in our image and likeness image and likeness those are kingly words we've talked about those before image and likeness were um representatives of uh so let's say there was a king 
the king was always the image of a god, right? So Pharaoh was the image of the god Ra, I think. Um, in the ancient Near East, this was very, very common. The, the, god, the kings were the images of yeah. the gods of that nation. And you would have statues uh, or likenesses of the king in the midst of, the, uh, of temples and in far-flung cities. Those images and likenesses stood for the authority that the king had as an image of the god. Yeah. Now, that image, <laughs> literally, is taken and now applied to human beings so that we image God as in the same way that a king would image a God. But now what was true of a king is now true of all of us, which yeah. is this theme throughout the Bible that God has always been looking for, not a king, but a kingdom uh, of priests, not just a group of priests, but a whole you know, slew of priests and a whole slew of royal messengers and whatever else. So, so, and the, the rule and likeness is tied to the commission that they would have to rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So that, that these representatives had delegated authority to exercise consistently with God's character. And as representatives using God's example, they would continue the, the drawing out of flourishing of the the, the world that God had made. I like that. The drawing out of the flourishing. Yeah. Creation was embedded with potential. Yeah. So the humans could build out on, on that, draw that out, build upon it, and use it and further that potential. Yeah. So it says that God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Now, there's absolutely nothing in here uh, when we first meet male and female, other than their counterparts, and that both are required to bear the full image of God. Mm. Correct? Yep. So that the man in his, man is in his maleness doesn't bear the full image of God, and the female in her femaleness doesn't bear the full image of God, although they're both image bearers. It's together, male and female, that carry the image of God. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So the first thing we learn about the man is the man belongs to a set of two. He belongs to a pair. He's not self-sufficient. He's not self-reliant. He is not. Um, he's not existing outside of um, his own self-reliance. The man bears the image of God in relation in community. Make sense? Yes. God blessed them and said, "Be fruitful in number," and He gave them a fun way to do that: fill the earth and subdue it. Now, the word "subdue" here means to bring order to what is chaotic. So the idea is that, that the earth wasn't the whole garden, but the earth, the garden was placed on the earth and that their job was to expand the borders of the garden to encompass the whole earth. And they would do this through the manufacturing, the very joyful and fun manufacturing of other image bearers. Yeah. Right? And then God said, I will give you every seed bearing thing. So they were, you know, eating just the, they were eating seed bearing plants initially for food. God told it was good. Great. So that's Genesis 1. No inferiority, no superiority. But the idea is the image can only be contained because there's R-ness, like O-U-R-ness, R-ness, R, let us make God, let us make humans in our image. There, there's some sort of plurality there among the Elohim that is now going to be represented in the plurality of human beings. 
All right, that's the big yeah. point. There's then and total equality. There's no there's no ranking or hierarchy here whatsoever. Then in chapter two, we read about the account of Adam and Eve. Now, um, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, so the earth was beardless, in other words, <laughs> and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. The Lord God formed a man. Now, the, the, very, the very common mistake made here is to think that this word man means biological male. Right. Right? We've talked about this before. No, the word man is the word Adam. And Adam does not become a proper name until later in the story. Adam uh, is a name used and, and coming from the, the ground, the word for ground, which is Adama. Yeah. So the Adam was made from the Adama, right? And the Adam is not sexually differentiated. It's just an earth being. Literally, that's what Adam means. Someone, something made from the earth. Yeah. Right? Just a being made from the earth. The Lord God formed an Adam, a being, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man, the Adam, the human, became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, and he put the Adam, and again, this is not a proper name. This is just the groundling. I mean, right. that's literally what it is. <laughs> The earthling, to quote a Nettie Vedder solo album. There you go. He put the man he had formed in Eden. The Lord God made all kinds of trees, trees that were pleasing for food. Here are a couple that you shouldn't take. Then there were some rivers. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to, to work it and take care of it. Now, work it and take care of it are priestly words. These are words used in numbers to describe the work of priests. So the commission given in Genesis 1 reflects God's sovereignty, God's creative power, right? The God is king, well, then you will rule and subdue. Yeah. Um, here, God comes to us as an artist. He is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He's scooping up dirt and breathing into nostrils. He's much more close. Yeah. And so he invites the human to do priestly work um, in taking care of the garden. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, what have we learned about the groundling? Well, the groundling is literally made from the humblest of origins. Yeah. Right? The groundling has come from the dirt. And, and he bears the name. Hey, just so you know where you come from, dirt I bag. shall call you dirt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like, so, so, and, and, and yet the groundling has been bestowed with incredible dignity because he bears in some way, shape or form the breath of God. Yeah. Right. And he's a living being. Then it says, <coughs> and this is so important for biblical masculinity. It is not good for the Adam to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, we all read that as, oh, the man. So there's a gendered man with a penis who is sitting in the garden and he can't reproduce with anything. 
That's the issue. So we're looking at the animals and no, no reproductive partners there. That's not the story that Genesis 2 is telling, in my opinion. Right. In my opinion, this is still the undifferentiated Adam, who has no other Adam with him. So the singular Adam stands among hordes of animals and birds and fish, but communal-less, right? There's no R-ness, O-U-R-ness, right? Yeah. There's no plurality to the Adam. So we always want to talk about, well, suitable helper means, and the suitable helper, by the way, is, <coughs> pardon me, and I know, I know a lot of our Reformed brothers and sisters take this as man, being biological male, and so the man was formed first, so the man has, the man has precedence. But even, and if you took it that way, even the phrase suitable helper, Ezra Konegdo, um, suitable helper, doesn't, does Ezra Konegdo, and Ezra was a rescuer, um, in the Old Testament, God was an Ezer. Yeah, an Ezer, an Ezer was a mil- was used in some contexts as military help. Yeah, I remember you and Bonnie having that conversation very early in the podcast about the word helper and how that kind of right. how God would assume that same name. So yes, it's hard to make it a lesser, totally. a derogatory term. Or, a- but I but I want to suggest we're not talking about a biological male here. And right. we're not talking about the creation of a biological female here. Right. We're talking about the fact that the singular Adam was alone. But that's how they use it, right? It's a man and then yes. God creates a servant a woman. Or, or a helper. A helper. That's a woman that is going that's to... That's right. And I want to say, even if you take it as gendered male here, suitable helper does not do the work you think it's doing totally. because it's actually a really strong image. And Konegdo, just it literally, the word literally means an alike opposite. So someone who is alike, but opposite. So it's like it's like two puzzle pieces. They're not the same, but they belong together. They're mm. counterparts. So so that I mean, you know, I just think that's pretty pretty amazing. Now, uh, it's not good for the Adam to be alone. I will make her helper suitable. And so whatever. So then the the then God brings the animals. The animals are not suitable counterparts. They're not Ezra Konegdos for the Adam. <laughs> Ezra Konegdos. Yeah. So for the Adam, no Ezra Konegdo was found. So he caused the Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the Adam's ribs. Now, the... the, the Every English Bible I've read has a textual note. And every Hebrew commentator I've read just says this is not the best translation. It's, it's, he took part of at the Adam's side. He took part of the Adam's side. Now, the rabbis have a field day with this. At least the healthy ones do. Because they say the, the, the uh, suitable helper was not taken from the head to stand over the Adam or from the feet to stand under the Adam, but from the side to serve alongside the Mm. Adam. So the side imagery here, I think, turns out to be really important. Then the Lord God made a woman. Now, this is the first time we've met this word. And um, Ish and Isha. And the words are related to each other. But now, notice, God didn't create a woman from something else. He took what was sexually differentiated and gendered it. He sexed Mm. it. 
right? The Lord God took a woman from the rib or the side he'd taken from the Adam and brought her to the Adam. And now the Adam speaks for the first time and says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called Isha for she was taken out of Ish. Um, and, and so you have this interesting play where the Adam was named from the ground and the Isha was named after the Ish. Um, I think, I think I have, I, I may have reversed those two words. I didn't have, uh, this is off the top of my head. So I may have reversed those two words. Um, but the idea, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of the Adam. Yeah. Now... They're sexually differentiated. Yeah. And uh, before that, they weren't. Now we have a proper name, Adam. And Adam names his wife Eve or living. Um, so we have this great like archetypical story of like groundling and life uh, or mother of the living or something, right? And it's just this beautiful picture of, okay, um, how does God, how, 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 how are we to understand what human beings are? Well, they're image bearers who must exist in community, right? Because only in community is the image fully born. But then secondly, they're even created to, with an interdependence towards each other. Yeah. They're, they're helper counterparts, both of them to the other. And at what sex turns out to be uh, down the road is the reunification of the divine image. So, so when God splits now into a gendered man and a gendered woman, now sexual union becomes the reunification of the original Adam that bore the image, which that's amazing. Um, but we're, we're not done yet, my friend. We're not done with <laughs> biblical masculinity. So what have we learned about biblical masculinity? What have we so learned, far. Timothy? Yeah, so far. What have we learned? Oh, well, so far there isn't any. Well, there, Until there is. The there and is. Have split. There is, in the sense that in in Genesis one, we realize that imaging can only be done in community, right. and in number two, that solidarity is, or that no, not solidarity in the sense of like I stand with you, but like being alone. Right. Uh, that that being alone, being an image bearer that is simply alone, does not. Um, uh, it does not counter does not produce the kind of counterpart that God was intending. We need to do the Genesis series because I have so many questions right now, but none of them have to do with masculinity. Yes, but so now, wanna... <laughs> so now, now again, there are people. I mean, there are really smart reform people who totally disagree um, that that we're talking about an ungendered um, Adam, um, and you know, I disagree with the, those who would. Disagree. So I just want to admit always nuance, complexity, like right. I'm oversimplifying, of course. Um, Ian Provan uh, has a book called Seriously Dangerous Religion, where he goes through the Old Testament and he, he takes just for like an accessible approach to this understanding of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, could be a good resource. Now, then we come up to the story about how they were naked and unashamed, but now we meet a serpent. And there is so much interesting stuff about the serpent that we will skip. But now we have the gendered male and the gendered female. Um, and the serpent approaches the gendered um, female and um, 
you know, it's this battle of ideas about will you trust God is for you. I mean, it's really, it's super profound, particularly in its ancient Near Eastern context. Now, the, the man and the woman, instead of being naked and ashamed, now begin to blame each other and, you know, all sorts of things. So the Lord God introduces judgments or uh, curses, if you want to use that word, and they're gender specific. There's a curse to the, to the, to the serpent which, you know, depending on what you think the serpent is, can have all sorts of meaning down the road yeah. um, in terms of messianic prophecy. Um, but then he, he says to the woman, um, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Now, why, now why, why that? Well, what was the original commission given to the, to the, to the male and female? In Genesis 1 it was to fill the earth yeah. right so he he makes filling the earth painful yeah you could still do it but now it's hard okay and then what's the other part of the of the the vocation how you worded it because I liked that original phrase bring out I, the flourishing yeah well we'll yeah that's subdue and God is now going to curse the subdue part of the vocation yeah. because he's going to curse the ground, which is, which is fascinating. So he curses the ability of the couple to fill the earth and he curses the ability of the couple to subdue it. Yeah. Right? So they were created as image bearers to do that. They still can do that. But what God has introduced is difficulty and pain. Yeah. All right, That's now let me keep going. Let me yeah. keep going. All right, because there is a second curse to uh, the woman. And um, it says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And um, some, some think this means sexual desire. And um, I don't think that's what it means because the word desire is used in the next chapter with sin crouching. Um at the door of Cain's life, wanting to master Cain. And that word, that same word, desire is used. So it's the desire to master. Mm. So your desire to master will be towards your husband. And in return, your husband will rule. And it's the same word that the man and woman were supposed to do together over all of creation. Now the man will attempt to rule over her as she desires to master her husband. And I mean, it's this brutal picture of a power struggle. Yeah. And, and the problem with a lot of this biblical masculinity Shiite is that it takes this verse and enshrines it into what should be. Yeah. That biblical masculinity consists of ruling over. Yeah, we took the curse and then made it the gospel. Yes, yes. And it couldn't be more demonic, right? Yeah. And so when alpha males or effeminate men, when, when all of that is just code for, well, you're just not having, you're not exercising manly power over people, um, then, then, you, then we're simply enshrining a curse into what we think, you know, yeah. biblical masculinity should be. And there's that theme again, that just God and Jesus being profoundly against those who exert power over exactly 
Exactly. But I want you to know, we don't we haven't gone into any biblical passages about marriage or childbearing, except yeah. for it being cursed. And you already have a picture of biblical masculinity that says that that men need community, that men are weak in and of themselves, um, and are not solitary to not to be solitary creatures. They are made for counterparts who are to be loved and esteemed, and any attempt to rule over those counterparts is um, is part of the tragic fall uh, in the unleashing of sin and death into the world. Man, it's kind of literally the plot of the first Rambo movie. Because mm. he exists as the solitary loner who looks for community and the community shuns it and it turns into this like violence that, but the violence exalts the loner power over and it just escalates when all he needed was community and you know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry, well, I, I didn't know. I had no idea where you were going initially. Well, you said unspooling. I, I mean, do. Like, I, I do. Obviously in a comical way, but um, yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. That Stallone, was great. Stallone has been in my head this whole time when we talk about, because we've joked last episode or a couple episodes ago about being children of the 80s what masculinity yes. was in the 80s was just like it was schwarzenegger, schwarzenegger and willis yeah, huge yeah monstrous men yes could just my buddy and i were joking about this movie commando the other day because oh i loved Arnold it just walks in with the two big guns and he destroys an entire base and they're all shooting at him and not one of them hits him while he you know standing in the middle of the courtyard hits like you know 200 people and it's just like looking back it's like this is just like an snl skit it's absolutely ridiculous but totally. growing up they're like this is the pinnacle of manhood it's power well, and, there, and there's been there's been a resurgence of that through stallone's like resurging career through the expendables where we had all totally. those 80s action stars and i yep. and i love that crap right yeah i just i could chew on those cheesy action movies forever um but to your point they did present an alternative way of understanding what it is to be masculine, and and that and that still that still plays in churches and gets baptized as Christian. Yeah, we had right? Trump's head on the Rambo body. I was thinking <laughs> earlier too with the Trump thing with like the didn't we just see images of Trump on the cross with a crown of thorns? Yes. And you're talking about the kings or kings right being kind of elevated to the image of the God. Yes. And I was like, dang, we're we are. Do it. We are in that same thing right now. Oh, Trump on a cross with a crown of thorns. We've never, like, we've never left it. This is yeah. what we, this is, this is what we do, and, and all of us are guilty. Yeah. So that's why it's a curse, right? Is it, it? It has now become the natural state of humanity to pursue power over each other. It's really interesting. And, and what's fascinating is Paul's teaching on marriage in Ephesians that gets used as like the wife submit passage right, yep, yep. is actually the reversal of this curse. Mm. Oh, it's so good. And we don't have time for that today. If <laughs> if there's a clamor for it, we can do it next week. But yeah. the, the point I want to make is still out there to come. Because then he says to the gendered man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the Adama because of you. So again, 
they were to work it and take care of it. They were to yeah. fill the earth and subdue. So filling has been cursed and now the subduing because now through painful toil, you will eat food from it. You can still subdue it, but now it's difficult. Yeah. And, and the question, oh, and then, and then it goes, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. See, no longer does creation cooperate. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the Adama, from, since from it you were taken. Oh, so, I mean, it's, it's absolutely genius. The, liter- the literary artistry of this is just, it's genius. But it's poetry. It is poetic. But one of the questions is, why, why does God curse why does he do? Why does he do any cursing at all? Um, why, why the target? And again, I mean, I don't. Th- this is mythic history. This is the genre right. of mythic history. Yeah. Right. And so we're we're dealing with a guy called Land and a woman called Life. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, so you know, there's obviously some symbolic stuff happening. Right. But. But it presents God as introducing difficulty. He not only kicks them out of the garden for their own good, but he introduces difficulty. And this is where I want to I want to kind of pin the tail on the donkey, so to speak, okay. is is that um, that that from the story forward, um, the the picture we get now of maleness is one that you know. Um, is that maleness is the war against the vocational call that maleness was given. Um, And then secondly, that maleness exists and can only exist in weakness. Mm -hmm. That God curses um, the the ground in such a way as so as to provoke weakness in the original couple. And it is precisely that weakness that drives them to the worship of the one true God. In other words, once, once the original vocation was lost and, um, and God did not choose to cement them in their fallen state, by, and then he does this by kicking them out of the garden, he then brings curses to the couple so that life does not work well apart from him and his wisdom. Not in some cheesy like Jesus fills the hole in my heart way, but rather, but rather in the sense of saying your dependence is now built into human life. Like before, you were independent. You could choose whether or not to eat of the tree. But now there is weakness that's baked into the human condition, right? There's finitude. There's, there are limits. And so the, all of this alpha male crap, is, is simply the disguise of people who are trying to overcome that curse. The curse of weakness, the curse of limitation, the curse of, of limping through life, the curse of aging, the curse of death, the curse of not being at the pinnacle of your power for your whole life, the curse of losing the, the muscularity of your body or the brilliance of your mind. That whole picture is designed to bring us to the place where we realize we need mercy. 
and not in some you know cheat like i said not some some gospel like god's up there going hey guys it sucks so you turn to me no 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 no. but 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 god ensured that our vocation building cannot be fully um accomplished or idealized uh, without each other and without some participation from him and so if you want to talk about biblical masculinity here's where we start we start in the need for community. We start in the recognition of weakness. We start in the recognition that our that our quest for power has to be contained and um, fought against and resisted, right? All of the exact opposite things that we're being told what biblical masculinity is. Totally. Well, this is where this is where biblical masculinity starts. Now, should we start a man down con- conference? Oh, I love that idea. We should. Let's do a beta male conference. Absolutely. Drink soy lattes. Yeah. And and we can throw Axe body spray. Now, um, <laughs> so <laughs> we can shoot Axe body spray cans with pellet guns. <laughs> the nice thing is we don't need bear spray out when we're camping because you know we have Axe body spray on that'll take care of it. That's right. No, so I, I just wanted, I, I, I just so, I, I understand that um, that gender is a really confusing thing in our world. And I don't agree with every single voice out there that tries to make it more confusing. But I also don't agree with every single voice out there that tries to make it less confusing. Yeah. And particularly when it plays into stereotypes and then they baptize those stereotypes using biblical language i just find that to be abhorrent and then they oppress people through those yeah well they don't even have to actively oppress i mean just calling someone effeminate right you know i mean what really really i mean what what a what an awful awful i mean to treat other image bearers this way yeah um and it's an insult to women too like the worst thing you can call a man is that he's like a woman yeah oh i just i I find it insane and um and so i just wanted to take an episode to to take that shouting soccer metaphor and to apply it to this i don't know this movement among some that has always been here right it's not i mean eldridge didn't start it and he didn't perfect it and Driscoll didn't start it, but it's just, it has new iterations that seem to bubble up from time to time. And now it's... Well, we, when we had on, what was her name? Um, is it Amy Bird? Is her first name Amy? Yeah. Yep. Um, or no, maybe it was when Beth Allison Barr Allison was on. Barr. We, and we were talking about, um, I asked her the question, if, the, if these different movements or these different loud exclamations against women coincided with the different feminist time periods and movements and she's like yeah and it's like you see that in the church when it starts to react to um women like advocating for a voice that we get loud again about the role that women should be playing and holding on to and yeah same way we do with race and other things too yeah just keep clinging to that power over that's it, man. And I'm not saying there's not a place for traditional expressions like 1950s era expressions of, you know, well, guys, we got to provide for our families. Well, that's actually a biblical thing. 
Yeah. Just don't um, yell at everybody else that. Well, but but it's not just else. it's not just to the man. Um, right. And, or like spiritual leaders in the home or whatever. See, totally. I mean, the goal the goal is that to be image era. image bearers, and image bearers. Uh, happen in the the fullness of the male-female dynamic. Now, I understand that raises questions about homosexuality, and I think that's one of the reasons why Paul actually comes against same-sex gender um, relations is because they don't reflect the full image of God. Mm. Um, So I think that logic sort of underlies some of the instruction that we find other places, particularly when he uses a word like natural, in yeah. Romans 1, like there's a whole like massive amount of scholarship about what that word means and so on. And I don't even mean to open up that whole can of worms, except to say that I understand that this understanding of Genesis does open up that can of worms. And, um, and we can all, you know, as we've talked about, you know, literally, I don't know, a dozen times probably over the course of seven years, um, about how it is that we're to treat our gay brothers and sisters as image bearers and so on. Well, this whole um, section opens up about a hundred can of cans of worms. Yes, on different gender. <laughs> I mean, there's it a does. Lot, there's a lot in there to. Yeah, someone should yeah. do a series on Genesis. There's a lot to pick at. Oh my goodness! And then and then these patterns. What's fascinating is that these patterns. This mythic history in Genesis 1 through 11 then plays out through a specific family, right? right? The family of Abraham. And you see all those dynamics yeah, it's really coming. Interesting. It is so interesting. And then, and then you see those dynamics then play out through the, the nation of Israel. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's so well written. Now, that doesn't mean it's you know, without its issues. It just means that if you come at a piece of literature and you see the intent um, and the the poetry with which and the art artistry with which some of these totally. texts were assembled, you just go, wow, this is yeah, it amazing. It provokes engagement. It does, which is what, which is what scripture should be doing all along. Right. The interrogation of our normal. So, so when I began, uh, and let me speak very, very personally. When I began to unlearn the wild at heart masculinity right and to embrace and and this was therapy this was um i had an acl surgery when i was uh 32 years old i just started a a very public role in a church and i began to have panic attacks just out of nowhere and those panic attacks turned into full-blown generalized anxiety disorder. I was always, I mean, I couldn't rest. I could nap. I couldn't, I mean, it was just awful. For several years, I lived under that and refused to take medication because that's for weak people or I didn't have enough faith. Right. And um, and then I was introduced to therapy and my therapist just kept slamming me with my limitations. Like I couldn't escape He's like, that's where you find your masculinity is in those, in choosing commitment in those, in choosing sacrifice in those. Like none of the good stuff of image bearing comes outside of that. Yeah. Uh, and so much of biblical masculinity is designed to keep us from those places. And so the lamenting and the grieving and, and the loneliness, and I felt like such a freaking failure. 
And and yet I was I was a very public figure in this church that was exploding and books were being written and conferences were lined up and it was just this weird dichotomy um, where I was walking and limping in such awful weakness that I never would have chosen. And yet in those places I was finding like deep, deep um, intimacy with Jesus and usefulness in his kingdom. And then I met Seth Erie. And, you know, man, that, oh, I'm sorry, I, that boy, you know, you want to talk, you want to talk about what it is to be fully human. That boy, that boy is my mentor in the way of, of Jesus. And, and what I've found, I'm just, I just am saying this isn't abstract stuff for me as I've right. tried to learn and unlearn what it is to be masculine. Um, but but it, the, the, um, the fig leaves that are portrayed by, you know, blaming the church or blaming the, you know, the, the hairstyles of Christian musicians or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, that's the same old sorry story that still does tragic harm. And... Um, you know, I think what the gift that God will give all of these people over the course of 80 years of their life is a really sincere run-in with their limits and their dependency. And it's there that you realize the goal isn't to be alpha or beta or anything other than to be fully human. Yeah. And to be fully human in this world because of the curses means to live with weakness. In weakness, from weakness, with weakness. And um, I mean that, and to me that liberates, that liberates everything. I wonder how American some of this is. Maybe I'm, I have no frame of reference, but so much of that, like that kind of big macho stuff feels very American. Like it feels very dominant yeah. and very um, entitled and we are we are the we're the winners we're the strong people we're the big ones yeah. i wonder if older countries still struggle with this in the, in the in the same way i'm sure they struggle with it but i wonder if it's as pronounced or yeah i don't know i'm that's it's, it's such an interesting idea it is because and and can i camp on that for a second tim that's such a great point because guys like jordan peterson or john eldridge or promise keepers guy they're tapping into something yeah like like there is i mean i remember when i first read wild at heart and i, I went to a john eldridge um uh con he was speaking at a conference and he's showing the trailer from the hobbit and he's he's like i mean and there was stuff coming out of me that was like yes i want to travel with a band of brothers and I want to be on an adventure and I want to yeah. be a romantic pursuer. Like there, there, there is something real being tapped into. And so I don't want to just wipe all of that away and say, oh, it's all just nonsense and meaningless because there is something that it's, that that's being tapped into. And I've, if you were to ask my favorite movies, my favorite movies would be gladiator, um, do you think that's tapping into something or if that's just, we have just like a two dimensional thing built into us that 
because a lot of the manly stuff now is like it's it's as fear based as anything else in the church where it's like they're coming to strip you of who you are they're trying to take from yeah. you oh, and they make women point. into enemies and they make women into these like yeah. seductresses and yep yeah and then we yep. baptize yep. things like the billy graham rule or whatever that takes agency away from women Right. Or even from men, because you're like, you can't control yourself because she's just only coming into this situation to do X, Y, and Z. And it right. strips women of their own rights and abilities within a professional environment. And I want, I always wonder, like, are we drawn to that stuff? Because we're told exactly what Eldridge is doing. Like, this is what it means to be right. on an adventure and be a man. This is core to your, like, your innermost. And so we get baptized in that. And then when we f- don't see it, and then we get told that it's being taken from us. We get defensive, yeah. And we want to fight back, yeah. And then that, which obviously fight back language immediately plays into your manliness. So right. it feels like a really two two dimensional cycle that I don't know. Like growing up in the '80s, you had Schwarzenegger, but then I remember being like so drawn to people like Robert Smith of The Cure, yeah. <laughs> and like you know, lipstick and different, and singing these really soft songs that had these really emotional pieces to them, and being like, you know, stay away from the goth kids because they wear makeup. And it's like, well, but I, I, I like, I can kind of vibe with what they're talking about. Like, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I, um, yes, 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 yes. I so relate to that because I was a football player. I was a weightlifter. I was like the stereotypical, you know, wannabe jock who loved Van Halen and, um, but it had a soft spot for Duran Duran that I never admitted to anybody. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is my my college has what's called stunt team, which is a new thing in America, or I don't know, wow. maybe it's outside of America. But it is a, it's for girls that like grew up in gymnastics and cheerleading, and they made a new sport, and it's a it's a competitive sport that takes all those things, and it has nothing to do with having to be on the field for men's football or basketball. And so some of the girls are writing papers oh. about that stuff, and it's great. I went to their meets last year because my daughter is really athletic and is really into gymnastics and Mm. cheerleading it's like well here's a thing that can actually give her like structure and meaning behind that stuff but the girls writing these papers about stunt not being respected as a sport and i was like yeah let's pick at it a little bit like how do you feel when you would go cheer at a football game whose event was it yeah and they're like it was the boys event it was football it's like yeah what does that make you think what about the stigma that's wrapped around that cheerleading is only there to support the male you weren't cheering at the girls' basketball games. You cheer at the boys' basketball games and the boys' football games. You're there to support and and do this thing. And it's like now they're being they're building these new sports and structures to help edify and give yeah. like yep. So I don't know. There's a lot in there about how we kind of just I don't know. Totally. Oh man, that's good. And and I feel the same way with Hannah. Like when she, you know, they didn't have girls' flag football, um, so. We play so with the boys. The boys, yeah, yeah. Which is, I I thought that's fantastic that she, yeah. you know, that she was just so courageous to go out there and, I don't know, man. It it uh, it's a big hairball, <laughs> kind of like your beard. And we'll yeah. end on that note, <laughs> friends, Romans, countrymen, and women. Thank you for lending us your ears. We are um, incredibly grateful, uh, and, and we hope this is helpful. We, um, we'll try to see if we can get some alpha males on the, on the show just to, you know, <laughs> explore the world of axe throwing, which I don't know. I didn't know was a thing. 
yeah, I'm going on Saturday night for someone's birthday. But you know what? It's a woman's birthday. Oh, snap! So there's that. <sighs> Man, well, <laughs> you definitely hang around some interesting women, which is right. awesome. Yeah, my sweet Justina loves, uh, loves sports, loves watching football. I asked her when we were dating, like, what's your, what's your best Saturday like? She's like, watch college football. I was like, okay. Done. Yeah. Will you? <laughs> so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, oh, in these days, may he give his peace. Till then, friends, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us